Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There, God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic here with Street Talk Theology. I want to say hello to all our street talkers this morning, hoping you're taking your sound theology and bringing it to the streets. Give me a shout out anytime at Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail. It'll be my honor to interact with you concerning any theological issue or current event happening um, in, in the world today. So um, let me see. Again, we are taking our show abroad as I am on Zoom with two wonderful brothers from India. As mentioned, Pastor Michael Teddy and Hashak Mahone from Redemption Bible Church in India. Um, so we are, we are thankful to have them, obviously. So now, so check this out. By God's grace, we're not only street we're, we're not only taking street talk theology to the streets here in Casagram, but also in India. Welcome, brothers. It's good to be here with you. It's good to be back. I talk. You doing okay this morning? Yes, I'm doing good. Okay, good. <laughs> well, this morning we deal with some theological business, and the topic we have chosen to discuss. Well, I chose it, so I don't have to talk too much about it. I'll pick these brothers' brains, is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. So uh, Charles Spurgeon, we're all familiar with, with Charles Spurgeon. You know, Spurgeon actually said that this concept is an antinomy, uh, a paradox. And as theologians, though, they have to be dealt with. But I, I was thinking back on uh, Michael's prayer as he started out that we, we want to deal with this as, as believers, not as think tanks or theologians, so to speak. Yes, I mean, theology is a study of God's word, but we want to look at this as believers. So here's an introductory thought, and then I want to say this, and then I want to hear you guys talk. Um, the more you talk, the less I talk, the better off we are. <laughs> Pastor Michael and Ashok, I believe God does not need to look down the quarters of the time to see who would choose him. The Bible depicts that God has chosen his people before the foundations of the world. So I really want both your thoughts on that premise that I stated. Uh, you may disagree, you may agree, but if you do agree, I'd like you to expound on that because this is more about what you think and me trying to just pick your brains a little bit, if that's okay. Yes. And anybody so, can go first, second, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, we, we are completely in agreement when we talk about um, God looking down the corridors of time. Um, when we read the scriptures, we find God to be a big God. And when, when I say big God, I mean that he is so magnificent. He is so supreme. He is all powerful. You know, we throw uh, Michael, words. Just, Michael, just yeah. one second. So you're saying you, God doesn't have to look down the corridors of time or he does. He doesn't or he does? He, he, he does not need to. Okay. okay. Right. And, and we, we throw out words like omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence to kind of, these, these are words we use to explain what we cannot fully understand. You know, Amen. How, do, how do we define all powerful? How do we define that he is everywhere? And these are concepts that 
break the chains of boundaries for God to show just how big he is, right? And so when we come to uh, thought processes about the fact that God needs to look down the corridor of time in order to determine what he needs to do, you begin to talk about a different kind of a God, a God that is Mm. dependent on some time machine to go into the future to make his decisions, which is not the God that we depict even in our study. You know, when we talk about, even with Christians who disagree on this, they would unite on the fact that he is all powerful and all knowing and all magnificent. And we would use these words to depict a God with whom nothing is impossible. But in these areas, somehow find that these are ways in which God works and he's constrained by them. And, and mm-hmm. uh, we do not believe in a God who is constrained by these kind of things. We believe in a God who functions and works in, in his complete, perfect power and beauty to achieve all that he wants to achieve. And so he is sovereign. We serve a sovereign Lord. And so we would agree. I would agree with your statement. When I think about that, uh, God does not need to look down the corridors of time to decide what he wants to do or needs to do. Let me, let me pick Ashok's brain a little bit on this. So some people would maybe say, and I, and you've, we've heard this, and then we're not, again, we're trying to learn ourselves. I mean, we're trying to discuss this and, and learn. And, you know, we, that's why we do this. We have three heads and hopefully uh, a, a three chord, um, a three, what, what, what are the proverbs, was it in Proverbs, a three chord? Uh, a string of not chords e- cannot be broken. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, but we probably can be broken, but that's okay. But Ezhak, so... What do we, how do we say that people might be saying, well, that's not fair. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just not fair. It does, do people have a, a choice? So, I mean, that, that may not be fair. Maybe you can help us with that. Um, so, uh, I would say that when people say it is not fair, what is being meant there is not everybody gets an equal chance. There are some people uh, saved because God chooses them while the other people aren't chosen. So, it is unfair. Uh, the problem is um, the, uh, the question that uh, the, great apologists of, uh, throughout the church history have asked, according to what standards? But let's think of it like this. I think we are looking at it at a, from a very point, uh, wrong point of view. When we look at redemptive history, when we look at God saving people, um, the question we ask is, uh, how, isn't it unfair that isn't it... Um, partial or is it isn't it wrong that god chooses only some people well that is not the question we're supposed to ask this is the truth that every single person is hellbound as as they are in their very nature they hate god and they are bound hellbound as they mm. are and now god for his for his glory sakes chooses some people for himself and the question is why would he even do that right the, nobody deserves to be in that position so if at all god chooses some people for himself there is absolutely um, no question of fairness over there um, uh, anything that we receive is mercy and grace in fact grace the, the second uh, that we start demanding grace it it stops being grace it it becomes a right uh, and yeah. salvation is not a right it's it's a, it's through grace through faith That's- yeah, yeah, Pastor, may, may I jump in on that? Just Oh, please. Uh, you can, please. Yeah, you, you, you offer me things like this. I want to jump in and, and talk more. <laughs> Ashok, you got to see, you can see, you can see. I know when Pastor Michael's ready to jump, I see his eyes rolling. <laughs> I know he's ready to come right in. Yeah, please. Yeah. 
So, Please, so when we were studying the book of Romans as a church, I, I, I tried to explain to the church this whole question of fairness, because that is the question most people were asking. This isn't fair. When you say that God chooses and you know, how, how is it fair for everybody? And so I used this example where I said, you know, there is a distinction we can make between fairness and justice. When you talk to a little child, imagine you go out with your uh, children and, and you decide, uh, you know, your child is having a cold or a cough and, and, you, and you feel, okay, it's not good for them to have an ice cream. You know, you give them an ice cream, their cough is going to get worse. And so you, you, you go uh, to the shop, you go to the restaurant, you're having food and they ask you for an ice cream and you say, you can't have one. It's not good for you. You know, and I ask the question, will our children look at us and say, will that child go, it's not just, or will the child say it's not fair? Mm. And the child obviously will say it's not fair. But at the same time, when we know there's, there's something illegal happening, when we go out there to protest against a rape, you know, a, a problem where uh, a man who's committed rape has been set free and we hold up our slogans and we ask the government for, we don't ask them for fairness. We ask them for justice. Yeah. Right. So there's a difference in the sense we use these two words and the, the difference that I applied to the church to help them understand is when you say it's not fair, the standard that you're applying is yourself. It's not fair for me. I don't find it fair. In my perspective, if my friend can have an ice cream, I want an ice cream too. Yeah. But the moment you demand for justice, you are calling for something outside of yourself. You're mm. calling for, for a standard that is uh, universal, a standard that applies equally to you and me. It is just and hence it must be fulfilled. And the question is, when it comes to the question of God, choosing it is not a question of fairness of course it's not fair because in our perspective through our dim lit eyes of this world through our flesh mm -hmm. of course it's not fair we don't appear it to be fair but if we looked to the higher standard of justice we begin to find that the question of justice demands that the guilty be punished and we are the guilty and Pastor Michael, uh, can I make a yeah. say one thing, please? Yeah. yeah, I don't want justice. I want mercy. Is that okay? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, yeah. don't no yeah. I don't want no justice. Right. So, I want mercy. So that's that's and that's precisely where we arrive. Because if we stop saying it, 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 it's not fair. We will never say it's not just, because we know God is justice. And if we are going to yeah. hold up our slogans and demand justice then justice mandates that we be punished. And that is you why know, we I think, ask for mercy. Yeah, please, please. No, I was saying that is why we stand up and we ask for mercy. So like Ashok was saying, when we see the fact that God has chosen to save a people that are hostile to him, what we see is mercy. And uh, that is what we are after. That is what we cry out for, is for the mercy of God. Yeah, I'm I'm on that prayer chain for sure. Um, so uh, you know, this is, and I think, I think what hurts, especially here in America, I don't want to, you know, because everybody thinks they're really, really smart. They really do. Um, but here's the thing that I, I know I'm a little off topic here, but I, 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 I just, something came to my mind. 
I don't care how smart you are, no matter how many degrees somebody may have. Ash Hawk, when somebody dies, no one can answer that question, what happens? Nobody. Unless you, the, the only the only one that answers that question is God through his holy word. Nobody, I want him. I want somebody can, if somebody can answer that question, maybe we can start listening to them concerning divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's a tough play, but, um, so give me some, just a couple of more thoughts on that before I get to my next question. If, if, if you want. Yeah, just, uh, um, even that, I think, uh, the big reason why people, uh, I think at least people, uh, when they talk about uh, God looking through the corridors of time and uh, looking at human action in the future and taking decisions based on that, I think it's a misuse of the uh, Romans 8.29 verse as well. There's a word foreknew that comes there and uh, people like to use it to say that, see, God foreknew the actions of man. Mm. Um, But as uh, far as we look at the text, that's not what it is talking about at all. Uh, In fact, the very... uh, text says for those whom he foreknew uh, we have to understand that this is a hebrew and a greek idiom that uh, we see adam knew eve it's not talking about adam coming to know eve because adam already knew eve uh, the intimacy there uh, is being spoken as uh, using the uh, spoken using uh, spoken about using the word new and uh, similarly throughout psalms and isaiah we have uh, god god knows the ways of israel god knows the way of the righteous knowing uh, is um, uh, is a word that is used throughout the scripture to uh, denote intimacy and uh, a special kind of a knowledge uh, uh, right i i know my father is a uh, it's it's more than just me knowing the person exists it's i really know him it's a different meaning altogether so i think in romans 8 uh, 29 at least uh, and also uh, the word for new is referring to the person and not to his actions so god ah. for person and not the action so that is uh, yet another thing that we have to see in Romans 8.29. So I just wanted to bring this up because I've, I've, whenever I've had debates about this topic, people have always brought up Romans 8.29. So You mean people me. debate people debate about this stuff? You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, now you guys know why I like to hang out with these guys. I, I like this is this is great for me. Um, so, Pastor Michael, um, there's a term that um, scholars use but we're trying to just be good solid christians here and trying to you know understand the scriptures as best as we can um we hear the term effectual calling um and i think romans eight thirty. i think maybe if somebody's got that maybe they, they can read that but but uh, i think maybe ashok just uh, adhered to that or uh, maybe he didn't um Pastor Michael, what is if if somebody asks you, Pastor, what does it mean, effectual calling? How would how can you answer that? If and Ashok, I'm going to probably ask you to weigh in a little bit on this too. But uh, Pastor Michael, please. Yeah. Um, so when when we consider salvation, right? We all as Christians, we all believe that we are saved. Um, and we all would go to verses like John chapter three, and we'll be able to say, unless one is born again, one cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, but something pastorally that I've always come across is regardless of if, you, you know, whatever state you are in as a professing Christian, oftentimes people come and ask me the question, how do I know I'm actually saved? Mm. Like, how can I actually know 
that I am actually saved? Is it because of something I've done? Is it because of a prayer I've done? Is it because of a commitment I've made? So what does it all mean? What does it all boil down to? And so the, the point is, as Christians, whether you're a Christian leader or you're a new Christian, we have to deal with the question of what is salvation and how does it come about? And at the root of that, we find that salvation is basically coming to faith in Jesus. And the question there is, how do we come to faith in Jesus? Because you've got places like in John chapter 6, 44, where Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the, unless the father who sent me draws them. And suddenly you have the question, okay, Jesus, and I'm sure Jesus preached better than any one of us can preach. Amen. <laughs> and, 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 and he was, he expounded better and he used the perfect words. He didn't sin when he preached. He knew what he needed to say. And yet people did not come. Yet people did not come. And his response to that, when people would not come to the hearing of his word being preached, is him saying, you cannot come to me unless the Father draws you. And so at the root, biblically, I believe from the reading of Scripture, and I'm sure you brothers agree with me, that faith is a gift that God alone can give. And when we say faith is a gift that God alone can give, we, we are put in that situation where we have to wonder, uh, wait, is, isn't faith that I muster up in myself? Isn't faith something that I have to ex exercise into existence in myself? And that's not what the Bible teaches. And so effectual is all that to just put the foundation of what is effectual calling. Effectual calling is just a phrase that theologians use to talk about God calling a man to life, from death to life. And effectual mm -hmm. calling is a call that results in salvation without fail. And, and an example to put that is when Jesus stands outside of Lazarus' tomb and he looks in and he says, Lazarus, come forth. That's an effectual call. Lazarus was not sitting in that tomb wondering if he should come to life or not, whether he should choose the life or not. For a dead man does not choose. That, so the, the effectual calling is where God calls a person into newness of life. And that means he takes away the heart of stone and puts it in a heart of flesh. It means that he gives faith to that individual. In uh, common, uh, you know, in our circles, I am sure it, it has another word called irresistible grace. It's, it's a word that is used synonymously <laughs> with that, which is to say that all of us by nature are sinners because we are all fallen in Adam. And the nature of sin is always to oppose God, is always hostility towards God. So we will always resist as men who are born evil because of sin, we will always resist that which is good. And effectual calling or irresistible grace is the kind of grace God extends to us by which he overcomes our resistance. He breaks through our resistance and pours into our heart his love and his truth 
and his gospel and gives us the gift of faith. Uh, and maybe I'll close with this. When, when we say faith, the word faith, fundamentally it means trust and confidence in God. If you can break Amen. it down, it means trust and confidence in God. And the amazing thing is what God gives us is not the ability to trust and have confidence in God. What he gives us is the very trust and confidence in God. He does Amen. not give us the ability of faith. He gives us faith. And so what Amen. he births in us is that very trust and confidence, which has come to us as a gift and has transformed us from dead men to living men, alive and believing in Jesus. Amen. So you notice Ashok, just like a pastor, he want, he says, I'll close with this. And usually, you know, I tell, hey, Pastor Michael, when I, my, yeah, when I tell my congregation I close, they say, okay, but we got about another 20 minutes before. <laughs> so, um, so here's my analogy with that, Ashok. You know, I used an analogy one time that if a guy is dead at the bottom of a well, right, and you throw him a rope, Unless you unless you make that guy alive, he yeah. can't grab the rope, right? I mean, yeah. I don't care how many ropes you throw. And the Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sin, right? Yeah. Okay, listen, Ashok, you got last question over here because you know us. We're going to have to come back. I mean, I have six questions and we're only on two. <laughs> <laughs> and we're already in 22 minutes or something. But um, so... That was really well said, Pastor Michael. And I, I think there's some and, and there's some humility there. And in, in, when Michael's speaking about Pastor Michael is speaking that, you know, we can't dot every I and cross every T here. This is not this is not easy stuff. So as so the scriptures say, this scripture says, come to me, all you are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So. The scripture here says you have to come. So you have to come, right, Ash Oak? I mean, you got to come, right? <laughs> you have to come, yeah. <laughs> you have to come. <laughs> yeah. Ash Oak says you have to come, period. Okay, can I can I sit down now? Right. Yeah, that's what Jesus said, so <laughs> it has to be true. So, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, so I, I do uh, believe in a human responsibility part in the whole thing. In fact, uh, even when we look at, um, Romans nine and Romans ten. It's interesting. Ah, how, there's a good yeah yeah yeah. Romans nine. Paul talks about election and how Jacob was chosen and Esau wasn't, even though they had done nothing and they were still in mother's womb. God had already uh, planned, uh, uh, ordained uh, their uh, life and their um, uh, destination for them. But then, uh, in Romans ten, uh, uh, Paul goes on to say how. How will people be saved if if the gospel doesn't reach them, uh, right? And why we need workers of gospel? Why we need godly men and women? So uh, even when we look at um, um, Matthew eleven, which is the uh, the verse uh, that we are talking about right now, is in Matthew eleven, Matthew eleven twenty eight to be specific. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus says this immediately after saying, I thank Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You, uh, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the children. Yes, Father, for such uh, has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son uh, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So everything seems to be what God has ordained. God is in complete control and God has given 
these people to Jesus, right? And Jesus shall not let go of any of them, as per John 14. Uh, so the coming, uh, yeah, I do respond to the gospel the same way uh, Lazarus responded to the gospel, the word of uh, God, Jesus said, come out and the word caused a change in him. The word of God created life in, him, life in him and we respond to it. And how does this work together? We don't know. We know it works <laughs> uh, together. In fact, I like to say this in church that uh, I've said this a few times that in if if it was a if it were a modern evangelical church instead of Jesus um, outside Lazarus' tomb, uh, they would probably set up a meeting uh, with uh, Lazarus' favorite games and uh, food made available there, so that Lazarus <laughs> would be drawn towards the meeting, uh, right? So, but he can't; he's dead. Uh, but the word of God creates life, and uh, you know, Pastor Michael wants to say something, but I can't let him because I got to, I got to break, <laughs> I got to break this session. But would you guys come back for one more session? Is is that okay? Oh. Yes, we can. We can keep yeah, going. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's always an honor to have these guys. I mean, but here's what I want to say in closing. Um, thank God we can't figure God out. I mean, and I know that's the problem with the world today is, you know, they can't figure God out. And 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 I, we're not trying to do that here. We're just trying to give God glory in saying that. We're trying to expound scripture as best as we can. But again, um, this is Street Talk Theology. Pastor Dominic Romaldi here with Pastor Michael Teddy and uh, my buddy, my buddy, Ashuk. I'm going to try Mohan Akuma. How's that? It's not bad, right? Yeah. No, no, that's, that's, not bad. that's not bad. <laughs> um, but I'm going to ask them to come back. So you guys hang on and we'll be back. Uh, well, for you guys next week. But. Until then, all your street talkers, may God bless and keep you and shine his uh, light upon you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org. <laughs>